how did you celebrate with gifts around Christmas? What was that culture like, like in Brazil? Uh, in Brazil, we would eat a little bit before midnight, and at midnight we would start unwrapping the presents. Uh, for the kids, we would say that it was Santa Claus, or how we say in Portuguese, Papai Noel. Not all the families did that, though. But yeah, we would start unwrapping, and we also would have this, the secret Santa. We call it like a secret friend. Um, and in my family, it was a little bit different because instead of he, the person that it was your secret Santa uh, was describing you, and you would like kind of had to guess that it was you, you would try to guess who was your secret Santa, and then you would like take rounds and rounds until you find the right person. So it's like a game. Exactly, it was kind of like a game. And mostly it would be like something you didn't expect or the gifts that you were most uh, waiting for because sometimes you have lists. I know after a while it was kind of hard to you know, give a gift to someone so we would do lists. Uh, and then, but you would need to have more than one thing in that list because then you would be like, oh, I don't know what I'm getting. Um, and then for the kids, right after like unwrapping all the all the gifts, they would already start playing, but it was like middle of the night, around like 3 a.m. already, so, and the kids would still be playing, and with all the, all the new, toys. new toys, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coley, what about you guys? Um, so, for us in Lagos, Nigeria, we, the experience was, we don't share gift, we don't give gift. The joke our parents tell us is, you live under my roof for free, <laughs> I, I could put clothes on your back, that's the gift right. that you get. <laughs> but pretty much, it's up about family when it comes to Christmas. The memories that we share together, just talking about childhood growing up, just talking about how you're able to survive the entire year and coming, you know, going into another year. So we create memories. We, we just talk and share food and, and, and just share that moment. And that's the gift that we, yeah, I love that. we share. I'm gonna start telling another. that to my kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for me, I think that I, I was born in Mexico, Monterrey, Mexico, and so I came here from a very early age. I came here when I was five, and so the gift for me was just getting to see my family every year because they would visit us, but also we would have gifts. It would be like the time when we would exchange gifts and the main time of a year of the year when I would get to see them. And so um, my cousins and I, we would all open up our presents the 24th on like midnight that we would stay up really late and it just meant so much to be in family so it was a, a gift to be in family like you said but it's also it was a gift that they worked so hard to get this for us to come to visit us um, and yes yeah, so that was on Christmas well Merry Christmas we're so glad that you're here my name is Eric I'm the campus pastor and I don't know if you uh, were inspired by some of these cultural traditions, but I, I, I never got to open on Christmas Eve. I don't know about you. How many of you open a gift on Christmas Eve? All right, some of you kids are kind of elbowing mom and dad, like, can we do that? Can we do that? Uh, we did not get to do that, and we actually did something a little bit different. I don't know of any others that have done this. I've shared this before, but there were a few years, especially in my teen years, where I would wait to open the biggest box till last. I don't know about you, but I have a strategy every year. And one year my brother did that and he opened it up and he was so disappointed because it was a gift he'd been given the year before. But my parents didn't feel like he wore it enough. So he got it again. 
Or one time I got duped. I saved the biggest till the end, opened it up, and it was a coat I'd been wearing for three months. And my dad said, remember, I told you, this is part of your Christmas gift. So we give gifts at Christmas, really celebrating God's gift to the world. We're remembering God's gift to us in Jesus. And God's gift to the world can be really misunderstood. Now, some of us are here, and we're singing out, and we're just celebrating the birth of Jesus. But others of you, you're here, and that is your gift to your family. Uh, You've come as a way to say, okay, I'll come, I'll go but only at the 2 o'clock because the game's at 3.30. That's right. I was wondering why it was so full at first. But you might be here and wondered, you know, the gift of a baby born in a manger, God's son, I mean, even if it is true, what good is that? How does that even help me today? Or maybe for you, it's kind of like receiving an a present from someone in your family and you open it up and it's a hundred free sessions to see a therapist. And what do you say to that? Thank you? You know, I didn't know I needed a therapist, but I guess you think I do, right? It's an expensive gift. Do you even want it? See, some of us see God's gift of Jesus that way. But I want us to think about it in a different way. Because truth be told, if every one of us in this room would be honest, we could all use some guidance. We don't let on because the world tells us like, to act like we've all got it figured out, but, but we all look for guidance. We, we want guidance to figure out how to pass that chemistry test. We want guidance to know how to raise our kids, to figure out this relationship, to find the right person, to discover our purpose to find contentment, to learn how to really truly forgive and move on, to fix the mess that we're in. Wouldn't it be great if we could just ask for that perfect guidance? Just put it on Santa's wish list and find it wrapped up under the tree for Christmas. Wouldn't it be cool if they sold perfect guidance at Barton Creek Mall? Guidance in a box, right? A guidance memory chip. I'd pay all I have If I could buy that for my kids, my nieces, my nephews, all now young adults, perfect guidance so they would have everything they need in life for making wise choices, developing strong character, fulfilling their purpose, and discovering the tenacity to endure the hardships of life. But wouldn't it be a tragedy if I saved up all I had, went to the crazy, busy Barton Creek Mall, and bought perfect guidance, had it all wrapped up, put it under the tree, and then they opened it and could care less. Never accessing it, never going to it. So distracted by all the other toys and gifts that they never saw the gift that it was. See, one of the very first messages about Christmas wasn't about a baby born in a manger. It was about guidance, God's perfect guidance given to us as a gift. See, the first message of Jesus, and at Christmas, I should say, didn't actually come to shepherds watching over the sheep that first night. The first Christmas tidings were sent thousands of years before Jesus was born. There were prophets delivering 60 Christmas cards from God from generation to generation, foretelling 
of this one who would come, who would be born, who would come to rescue us. In fact, in the very first few pages of the Bible, after the fall of humanity, God promised that one day someone would come to crush evil, the snake crusher. There are actually 300 references in the Hebrew scriptures to the Messiah, the anointed one, or in Greek, the Christ, who would come to rescue all of humanity. But I want us to spend a little bit of time in one in particular, maybe the most famous of all these prophecies, written 680 years before the first Christmas. Isaiah writes these words in chapter 9. In the future... God will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. See, one of the first announcements of Christmas came 680 years before Jesus was born. It was this promise of a child born to us, a son who would be given. A gift to those who stumble in the dark and need a light to guide them. A gift to those who want a leader, not another corrupt human leader, but one that will lead us in a way that brings God's kingdom Ways to rule in our hearts. This government, this new kingdom is invisible and is transformative. Do you realize that's what Christmas is actually all about? The God who created you, who knows you by name, who knows you better than anyone else, who knows your thoughts, understands you, loves you more than any earthly father or mother could. He is with you and wants to lead and guide you. The gift of God waiting for each of us is will you open this gift of guidance comes in the context of relationship. Just as Isaiah foretold, Jesus was born a child. He lived and did his ministry in Galilee and he would also become a wonderful counselor. Wouldn't you love to have a wonderful counselor? I mean, there are a lot of great counselors out there. In fact, counsel's not hard to find. Millions of people make their living offering counsel. And there are career counselors, spiritual counselors, psychologists. There are life coaches and executive coaches. And I highly recommend coaches and counselors. But it can never quite be enough. See, no human can actually be that perfect father figure, that mother role model, that spiritual guide that we all need. No one can actually be the wonderful counselor to you and me because no one really knows us like the one who created us. Even human guides and mentors and counselors, even the best, aren't able to meet our deepest needs because we all struggle and we need more than what the smartest, most insightful human being can provide. We need God's guidance. A professor out of Wheaton College named Jerry was speaking at Oxford University. He was invited to this prestigious event called the High Table. It was one where they actually all wore their 
regalia. Have you ever seen professors wear all their robes and all the other things they wear? I don't even know what they're called. And, and so it's this very stuffy dinner table. And, and this guy, Jerry, a Christian, was sitting next to a professor of history. And knowing that he was from Wheaton, a Christian college, she said, she asked him, why are you a Christian? He didn't want to get into a debate in this setting. And so he said, because I'm aware of my failure and deficiency in my heart, I follow Jesus because God demonstrated through him that he loves me and forgives me and will lead me and guide me. And I need his guidance. That's why. And she said, I can appreciate that, but that's not my issue. And Jerry said, I I think I understand what you mean. I mean, I became a follower of Jesus, and it took me about three weeks to become perfect. She burst out laughing, as well as others that were listening in on their conversation. And he said, you see, your laughter betrays you. We just met. You don't know me, but you know that my statement is nonsense. You must understand either by history or by awareness of your own heart that no one is perfect. And she said, well, you got me there. And he asked, how do you live, your, live with yourself each day knowing what you do about yourself? <laughs> and she said, well, I have faith in humanity. And he said, I'm open to that. I'm open to anything that will help us down the right path. But how does that work pragmatically? Have you ever been wounded by another person? And she said, well, of course. Have you ever wounded someone? She responded, well, I'm sure I have. So how does faith in humanity work when humans have this tendency to be both wounded and wounders? Another teacher around the table asked, well, how does Christianity work pragmatically for you? That's when he began to share how it was through Jesus that we begin this relationship with God whose guidance is there for us every day, all day, throughout the rest of our lives, accessible through the scriptures, through that still small voice, through godly counsel in community. See, we all need God. We can't really be the ultimate counselor for one another. We need to help others find the help that he provides. Now, here's the thing, though, about allowing God to become your wonderful counselor. It's just like any real-life counselor. You have to be willing to trust and follow their wisdom. It's like that old joke. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? One, the light bulb has to want to change, (laughs) right? See, coaches, counselors, mentors, guides, and gurus will all tell you that if you're not willing to trust and follow, there's nothing that they can do for you. Maybe that's why God seems so mysterious, so hidden. So unintrusive. I mean, God, the most powerful being in the universe, could make us do the right things if he wanted. But instead, he created us with freedom that we might choose to trust him, choose to go his way. God said to Moses, a leader of the Hebrews people, 3,000 years ago, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. See, if we actually wanted to see God, we would be amazed at how he reveals himself to us. Ultimately, he revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. 
One who came to love and not condemn, to forgive and to walk with us. But we have to be willing to follow him, to trust him. All he needs is for us to accept that gift. The band is going to come and sing a song that tells the story of what God has done for us. But before we hear this song, I want you to listen to what John, an eyewitness of Jesus, he lived and walked with him, what he wrote in chapter 1 of his gospel. Talking of Jesus, he came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. One God who walked among us was named Jesus. Is your heart open towards God? Do you have an open mind or are you closed-minded? What if there is more to this life? What if there is a God who loves you? What if there is more guidance easily accessed by you and me? Remember, a gift costs us nothing, but it does cost someone something. As we read earlier in Isaiah, a child was born, a son to us was given. God gave the gift of himself, which cost him something. He humbled himself becoming a baby for a chance to lead you to be close to you and his love is unstoppable reflect on this as we listen Without 
so good. Gloria, in excelsis Deo. It's Latin for the phrase, glory to God in the highest. It's what the angels sang when Jesus was born. And we might hear that along with all the other Christmas songs and think of it as just ancient niceties. And lots of people think that, especially in the Western world, which has a history of Christianity. For so many, Christianity and Christmas is just a tradition. It's just a religion. And sometimes we're tempted just to pay tribute, you know, just at Christmas and Easter. But I want you to know there were many of us in this room that were at one point in our lives skeptical that this could be true. And too often we don't just really think we need God or we already know what we want. We think we know how to get it. And so we don't need his guidance. But life has a funny way of waking us up to reality though. Many of us who were skeptical at one point had something happen that helped us realize things weren't always going to go our way. For me, what opened my eyes to the possibility and hope that there was a God, that there was more than what I was experiencing in life was when my grandfather died. But see, God promised that if we seek after him, he will reveal himself to us. The mighty God who alone stands outside of time and history would enter life with us because he wants a loving relationship with us. John, the eyewitness of Jesus, continues in his gospel, chapter 1. He says, the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the Father's heart, for he has revealed God to us. See, we can't see the God who exists beyond time and space, but if you look with an open mind, you actually can start to see him everywhere. And it's amazing how this mighty God confirmed Jesus' arrival. The prophet Daniel, writing 500 years before the birth of Jesus, told us when the Messiah would come and what he would do. Written in 522 BCE, Daniel 9 says this, No one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. In other words, 483 years. The anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Though this might seem mysterious how he did it, God was actually foretelling that Jesus would come and this Messiah, this anointed one, would actually live before the temple was destroyed. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed in the year A.D. 70. Jesus having lived, died, rose from the dead just a generation before that. And by the way, that temple has never been rebuilt. See, when I took the time to seek after God, I kept finding God everywhere. He continues to amaze me, the way he listens to our prayers, the way he is there for us in the midst of hard times, giving us the peace through others, through a scripture, a lyric, and a song. 
See, I've discovered, as I've shared throughout this fall, that years ago I discovered how God can become our everlasting parent, the one who created us and knows us and loves you more than any loving parent. And I had amazing parents. My mom is a remarkable encouragement. My dad was unbelievably dependable. But even as we said goodbye to him this fall, I was so grateful because one of the greatest things he ever did was point me to my heavenly father. That's what I'm trying to do with my kids, with my nephews, my nieces, those in my life I care for. Because ultimately, people cannot meet our greatest needs. Only God can do that. So you can look backwards and see it. God, our heavenly father, he never missed a ball game never missed a recital. He kept every promise, never turned his back on us, always has time for us, does not shame us when we make a mistake. He's the father that's always been there. See, the difference between religion and relationship is religion says when you do something wrong, oh no, my father's going to kill me. But when you have a relationship with God and understand who he truly is, when something bad happens, we say, oh no, I need to call my dad. Some of us have been through some really difficult days, maybe months, maybe years. Don't miss God's gift for you this Christmas. He wants to be your everlasting parent. Will you reach out to him and just acknowledge that you want his leadership in your life. It's as simple as saying, God, forgive me, and I want what Jesus did for us to count for me. See, the story of Jesus, it's not what we see on Talladega nights. It's not about the eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus, which, by the way, is how much I weighed. That's how I remember that so accurately. The baby grew up. He lived a perfect life, and he taught with authority, and he loved the outcast. He brought healing to the sick, ultimately willingly taking on evil himself, dying on the cross. But his love was stronger than death, rising on that third day. And his spirit comes to live within each and every one of us when we surrender our life, just simply saying, God, I need you. Forgive me. Lead me. Guide me. The prophet Micah foretold that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. 700 years before Jesus, Micah wrote this. But you, Bethlehem, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. From Bethlehem will come the prince of of peace. You, you know, in the year 2017, I had a chance to go to Bethlehem. And we worked with Palestinian Christians in this incredible organization called Musalaha, which was bringing reconciliation between Jews and Muslims and Palestinian Christians. It was a fascinating experience. And since the people I was with were from Bethlehem, they They told me the reason that Jesus was born here is that no one in Bethlehem can keep a secret. (laughs) 
But in Bethlehem, there's a wall separating the Palestinian people and the Israeli people. There's not a lot of peace in Bethlehem. There's not a lot of peace where we live. See, the kind of supernatural peace that God offers is a peace that comes from within, that transcends the darkness all around us. Jesus said in John 14, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. See, God's gift of peace is not external, it's internal, a peace that permeates within our spirit, a peace that we bring with us everywhere we go when we allow him to lead and guide us. See, Jesus said this as recorded in Matthew 11, come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, let me touch you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. See, the greatest gift that God gives to us is a relationship with him and the fruit of that is peace, guidance, and joy. See, Christmas reminds us of that. In this season... We want to help you discover all that God has created for you. See, our church is a place where no perfect people are allowed. That means you're all welcome here. We're all welcome here. You don't have to pretend that you have it all together. You don't have any struggles or failures. God just wants our honesty. And this open and honest community is a beautiful place that creates the space. So in the new year... Make growing spiritually a priority, and we want to help you do that. Last story. In 1847, a local French priest asked an, a friend of his, a poet named Placide Capot de Rochmer, to write a poem for Christmas Mass. And the man took this very seriously and wrote Cantique de Noël. And he asked his friend Adolf Adam to add music to this beautiful poem. And the song actually became incredibly popular in France. And it was sung at many Christian services for Christmas. But when it was discovered that Placide considered himself an atheist and that Adam was Jewish, the French church would no longer allow the song to be sung in masses. A decade later, an American writer named John Sullivan Dwight saw something in the song that moved him beyond just the story of the birth of Christ, but what the birth of Christ could do in our hearts and in the world. Dwight, an abolitionist, was captured by the third verse that says, truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall, shall cease. He published this English translation of Oh, Holy Night. And it quickly became incredibly popular across America, especially during the Civil War. And it's become one of the most pop popular classical Christmas songs of all time. Later, in Christmas Eve of 1906, a man named Reginald Fessenden was 33-year-old University professor and former chief chemist for Thomas Edison did something long thought impossible. Using a new type of generator, Essendon spoke into a microphone, and for the first time in history, a man's voice was broadcast over the airwaves. He went on to read Luke's account of the birth of Christ. 
And then he picked up his violin and he played Oh Holy Night, the first song ever sent through the air via radio waves. We're going to sing Oh Holy Night. And this song in some ways reflects the gift that was and is Jesus. Not fully recognized at first for its beauty and wonder. Some religious leaders scoffing at its origins. But to those of us who desire real freedom and guidance, it's a victory chant. It's a divine message that is spread over the airwaves and into the hearts of men and women and children around the world. And so I want to invite you to stand with us, turn on your light, and let's sing this as a declaration of our hope in the one who has come for us. In his name is Jesus. Jesus.